How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another weekend, another Saturday, another Q&A day. So if you've got any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything at all, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. If you got debate topics, discussion topics, whatever else, please go ahead, fire away. Be glad to hear from you. I got a bunch of things on the board here I'd like to discuss, and uh, if you have anything you'd like to go over, talk about, um, anything just to see what does the Bible have to say about it, please go ahead, fire away, more than happy to hear from you. Just remember, we answer questions in sequence of order that they come in. Alright, so grab your Bibles, notepads and pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee, we're going to dive right into it, and... Uh, I came across something yesterday. Now, I know I read this verse a million times. And have you ever had this happen? Where you, you read over a passage of scripture, you've read it 100, 200, 2,000, 2 million times. And on the 2 million and 1th time, it's like, how come I've never seen that before? You, you just notice something you haven't really noticed before the the way it's worded uh the sentence structure there's something in there a picture there's something about the passage that you just for some reason hadn't really noticed before and i i saw this and uh it, it really uh blew my mind as a <laughs> it's in regards to salvation by faith alone now the Apostle Paul uh, in the book of Romans is setting a great and powerful argument on how salvation is by faith and not by works. He he's, uh, uh, has some great arguments in there. And the one thing that he mentions that uh, is quite interesting is that, you know, I don't know if you've ever done it, uh, uh, debating with individuals who are works-based salvationists. When you're debating with these works-based people, these law keepers, these commandment keepers, uh, these Pharisee types, uh, works-based salvationists often have a um, a phrase that they they like to use. So they like to say, "So are you saying you could just believe in Jesus and go do just whatever you want?" Tell me you've heard that before. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, they say you just you, you say you just believe in Jesus and go live in sin. Have you heard that one where they like to use that? Yeah, the people who deny once saved always saved. They say that you can lose your salvation. It can be taken away. You can recant it. That you have to maintain fruit or whatever. And if you don't, you if you don't maintain fruit, you lose your salvation. Those people often will use that argument. Uh, it's a straw man argument uh, against those who believe in eternal security those who believe that salvation is by grace through faith by belief alone they say that that uh, we who believe in faith alone salvation are advocating that you can just believe in jesus and go live in sin now the apostle paul <laughs> is literally talking about that in romans chapter 3 He's talking about how we are held by God. 
We're saved by God. It's a work of God. It's not of us. And he goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Romans chapter 3, verse 8. And Romans 3, 8 says, And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. These, these people who are saying these, these slanderous things that, that, that they're still damned in their sins. And it says, as we be slanderously reported, it's a slander against us, saying that let us do evil that good may come, that we just believe in Jesus and just go do evil. We just do whatever because good is going to come because we're held by God. And so we don't have to maintain works. We don't have to keep law and works and stuff. That there are, they literally said the same thing to Paul back in his time. Just well, when I heard that, I was I was just listening to the audio Bible on on Romans, and I just came across it. I had to pause it and go look that up, and just it they were saying the same thing against Paul back then too, slandering salvation by faith alone. So nothing's new under the sun, is there? It's just it's interesting. When we take a look at the Bible, and I've been uh, talking with some people the past couple of days, kind of about this. Um, it, it, people were uh, arguing about this because they keep bringing up, well, well, even the devils believe in tremble, right? And that uh, another was using James chapter two that about you got got to maintain fruit. So right, okay, but and then I proceeded to talk to him about the difference here, how. With the devils, yes, they do believe, but you take a look at the belief of the devils, it's a, it's intellectualism. Where for the saved, for the saint, the belief of the heart is also coupled with the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God who teaches and instructs and convicts and, and does, does all the work in us and he will never let us go. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of his father? And we see how the belief of heart is so completely different from belief of the mind the belief of the mind intellectualism the enlightenment we see in hebrews 6 4 to 6 for example where, where where they never got saved to begin with in hebrews 6 4 to 6 and they fell away from the enlightenment they didn't fall away from salvation they fell away from the enlightenment and we see in james 2 again james is not talking about things that are salvationary rather what follows salvation that if you are born again saved, that there is a need to manifest for what purpose? For what purpose? To show people uh, what salvation is about, to draw them to Christ. And he's talking to saints who are already saved, and he's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation. Now, when we take a look at this, we're always going to be butting heads with individuals. There's always going to be the naysayers. There's always going to be the antagonists. And it's no different. It's always been like that. Ever since the beginning of time, it's always been like that. People fighting against the truth of God, the truth of Christ. Now, as you see in Romans 3.8, it's no different. People back then fought against Paul and his preaching of salvation by faith through grace. Then people would slander him and say all kinds of foul, stupid things and deny salvation by grace. So, 
And then furthermore, if we go to take a look at Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and uh, what uh, Paul is talking about in Romans 4, the argument that, that, uh, that we're justified by faith and not by works. He goes on to say this and in multiple, multiple times through his letters. This is one of the, the primary arguments, uh, the primary topics of Paul's letters. The epistles of Paul uh, was uh, arguing for and proving salvation by, by faith and not by works. How it's not by works. So just an interesting tidbit there. And, uh, and again, as we take a look, as people will also try to take these passages and twist them and cherry pick them and, and redefine the meanings of the words. Uh, Works-based salvationists love to do that, where what they do primarily is they take the word faith, they take the word faith, and they redefine the word faith to mean works. That faith equals obedience, works, maintaining fruit. No. What is faith according to the word of God? Because as we see, that we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. Not, it's not of yourselves. So therefore, saying that faith is obedience works um, contradicts itself. Because for by grace are you saved through works. No. Uh, grace ceases to exist the moment that we get involved in, in our deeds. The moment works are involved of our sort, grace ceases to exist. How can you say that we're saved by grace through works? Through We're saved by grace through obedience. Gra grace is the unmerited favor. But if we have to do something, then it's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not merited. I didn't earn it. It's not a reward. I don't deserve it. So you see, by, by even the very context of the sentence structure of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the very sentence structure itself proves that faith itself is not works obedience, but rather is believing trust. So we can even do the word studies and we can look at the at the sentence structure, at the context of the sentence. So something to think about. And people will slander, people will mock, people will hate, people will fight. It's it's no different. It's always been like that. They did that to the Apostle Paul. So it's no different for us. Now, this kind of goes into a bit of a segue. Um now, I, I want to make sure you understand um, what Christian coffee time is for, what we're here for, what we do here. The point of Christian coffee time is to help people to understand Scripture in light of just Scripture. We don't bring uh, catechism, commentary, creeds, councils, that kind of thing. We don't bring denominational distinctives, any of that kind of thing. We just say, okay, what is the, what are the absolute clear fundamentals of Scripture itself? What does the Bible say itself? And we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. We don't bring lenses of other ideologies. It is like, for example, we don't bring Calvinism or any other idea. Just purely, simply, 
What does it say? That's what it means. And we, we don't try to monkey with it, twist it. We don't redefine the meanings of the words like works-based individuals redefining faith and, uh, and all this and salvation. Or the Calvinist redefines the meanings of world, all, whosoever, and all that kind of stuff. We don't do that. We don't bring in other people's ideologies and teachings and catechisms. We don't interpret scripture through the lenses of other things. Just what it says is what it means. And we learn how to pair scripture with scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, it's come to my attention that there are certain individuals who are teaching a Calvinistic idea of salvation that you are regenerated before you're saved. Um, are you regenerated before you're actually saved? What does the Bible say? Well, okay, what, what's, what's the first verse that kind of comes to mind on regenerated, regeneration? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind on this one is we take a look here at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. He saved us by the washing of regeneration. We're saved by the washing of regeneration. So regeneration is being made alive, being made new. So that we pair that with John chapter 3, being born again. You must be born again. And, and except you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of, of God. So to be born again, you're being born into life. You're being born into li the life of Christ. And, and this is by the washing of regeneration. Uh, this is the, the, the cleansing of the Spirit of God of our sins. He cleanses us of our sins. He forgives us our sins and he seals us with the Spirit of God. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So when does sal salvationary regeneration come into play? At the moment of salvation, the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So we see this is Romans 10, 9 to 10. When you call upon the Lord, a confession of the heart upon him, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see you regenerated at the moment of salvation. This is also goes with Ephesians 1. Take a look at Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption. Now, this is a different word, but it has a, has a similar idea, similar meaning. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, what, what, what washes away our sins? What does the Spirit of God use to wash away our sins? By the washing, by the washing. So, what does the Lord use to cleanse us? Through his blood. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Redeemed means to be bought out, changed, made new. So we are regenerated, redeemed, changed, made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not regenerated before salvation. Salvation is the regeneration, the redeeming. Regener uh, that we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And this is this act, this work of the Spirit of God is salvation. 
Now, the idea that, that uh, you are regenerated before, this is Calvinism. That's Calvinism. They, the, the unbiblical teaching that you are incapable of coming to God uh, because you are in such a state you have no free will. You have no free will. And God has predestined some to hell, predestined some to heaven. And that you, uh, it's called, it's a doctrine, the Calvinistic doctrine, the Calvinistic teaching of total depravity. Now, we are depraved, we are sinful, but they say that you are so sinful that you are incapable of choosing, incapable uh, of coming to the Lord, incapable of all of that, and you have no free will. No free will. Even though the Bible says we do have free will, it does teach that. It does teach we have free will. And that, uh, okay, see, see, total depravity, unconditional election, that God, the God, that God chooses through the people, uh, people that he's preset, preordained individual. I want to save you. The rest of you go burn in hell. I want to save you, 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 but then the rest of you can go burn in hell. That idea of unconditional election. Limited atonement, that the blood of Jesus Christ was limited, restricted at the cross, and he did not atone for the sins of all the world like the Bible flat out says he did, but rather he only shed his blood for a specific, select, chosen elect. And that irresistible grace, that when God says, okay, I want to save you, and he saves you, even though, even if you didn't want to, you have no say in it, he's going to save you regardless of what, no matter what you say or think. That you cannot resist the grace of God. Even though we flat out see in the Bible that absolutely, yes, you can. And we see that pers the perseverance of the saints, uh, the, the idea there, that, which is even in their idea of how they teach it, is flawed. It's not the perseverance of the saints. It's the perseverance of the Spirit of God. We don't hold ourselves. He holds us. Now... Because of this idea, that was a very quick run through, but because of the very ideas of the specific teachings of Calvinism, that they, they say that, that uh, you are so dead in your sins that God has to regenerate you to life so that you can even understand, and then he saves you. Um, uh, it, uh, you don't even choose you don't choose to believe you don't choose to believe or anything but rather it's 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 of a such a full work of god that you don't even choose to believe but he just says okay i want to save you bang saved and i want to save you saved and there's no choosing there's no personal believing um but the bible doesn't teach that you are not regenerated before so how could god regenerate you to life before you're even washed clean of your sins sealed by the spirit of god how is he giving you life before before the life of christ comes upon you it doesn't make sense there isn't two sets of regeneration you're not regenerated to life and then regenerate from your sins that that's nonsense what this is is people trying desperately hard to find ways of twisting scripture to make the Calvinistic teachings biblical. That's what cults do. Is that it's uh, Calvinism is is man's idea and ideology, and they take scripture, 
And what they do is they take this guy's ideologies of what he thinks it means, and then they bring this to the Bible, and they twist scripture until it finally fits, or until they find a way to try to fit it. And they do this by redefining the meanings of the words, cherry-picking verses, and only focusing on parts of verses and not whole context. If you wanted to do that, you literally could justify absolutely anything in the entire world. Any philosophy, any teaching, any religion, you, you, uh, by twisting scripture, you can, you can make the Bible justify those things by twisting scripture. But if you just read the Bible for what it says, uh, regeneration is the moment of salvation. You're not regenerated before. Calvinism is severely flawed. And we see uh, by the... Uh, blasphemous heresy of limited atonement attacking the very blood atonement of jesus christ on the cross and making scripture a lie where it says that he atoned for the sins of all the world well that's just the world of the elect no no go to first john 2 2 and he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world and you'll see in the greek the word world means world all-inclusive not not a limited specific it's an all-inclusive meaning he atoned for everybody in the world because why he's not uh, he's not willing that any should perish well that's any of the elect it doesn't say that you're adding to the word of god and you're you're abusing scripture you're teaching for doctrines the traditions of men so we see regeneration what are you regenerated from your sins well, why are you, how are you dead, dead in trespasses and sins in the first place? Because you have sinned. <laughs> your sins have separated you from God. And you are dead in your sins. What brings you to life? The life of Christ, which he gives to who? Those who believe. Well, the spirit of God comes upon the mind of the individuals. And we see in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. And he enlightens the individual, enlightens them to the understanding he shows you, gives you a taste of, the light of, the glimpse of, and you see it. And we see in Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, that some choose to reject it. How hard it is to renew them again. Because they have, they have chosen not to believe. And they've walked away from what they were shown. So the very clear set scriptures completely contradict the very ideologies of Calvinism. It doesn't make sense. Calvinism doesn't make sense. It completely contradicts scripture. It makes God a lie. It brings contradictions into scripture. They redefine the meanings of the words. And they, they also uh, bring in all kinds of blasphemies and heresies by making God the originator of sin itself. For example, we just, uh, did, did, did we not just have the, have the, uh, the memorial that was it the 20th? The, the 20th, the 20th uh, year memorial of 9-11. According to Calvinism, that was God's predestined plan. Because nothing happens outside of the will of God that all, all sin, all catastrophes, all evil, all wickedness, everything bad that ever happens is the, is the divine will of God. That's what Calvinism teaches. Just saying. Maybe, but then they automatically do what what cults do is say, well you just don't understand calvinism you just don't understand calvinism uh they say that 
right after you you literally take their books their papers and you read it back to them this is what your book says and they say well you just don't understand it i'm literally reading off of what you teach this is literally what they say that god is the author of sin blasphemy rape murder incest everything that ever bad ever happens is god's will god planned it god allowed it that the reason the people go and worship the devil and sacrifice children to the devil well, well that was god's predestined plan that makes literally no sense and the bible flat out teaches against that anyways it's very easy to refute it so we see calvinism calvinism is a bunch of nonsense doesn't make any sense and they redefine the meanings of the words add to scripture omit from scripture change the context just like the cults do calvinism is a cult calvinism is a cult it's not biblical it's not scriptural it's a bunch of nonsense and it causes a lot of confusion in the saints and this and calvinism you'll also note for just fyi when you take a look at uh at atheistic debates i notice this one a lot uh, you look at sam harris and bill nye and richard dawkins lawrence krauss and all these other guys and and the late christopher hitchens these individuals when they would stand up and start arguing against christianity you'll note the specific language that they're using is that the, the atheist idea that they hate and they're fighting against is the is a form of Catholic Christianity and Calvinistic Christianity because they because their arguments is that God uh, God allows God ordains God sets catastrophes and horrible things that 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 why would a loving God do these bad things well, he doesn't and they they don't understand but because the idea of christianity that is in the atheistic mind is the calvinistic idea and and the uh, catholic idea see if you could combine catholicism and calvinism that's the kind of christianity that the atheists so calvinism is an atheist creating machine uh, by a, a lot of ways so you take a look at that and people get mad and they say oh you just don't understand they make all kinds of weird accusations and say all kinds of stupid things but um they say are you going against the fathers well they're they're not the apostles and they're not god and their writings are not scripture um god did not preserve the calvin's writings unto all generation um but the moment you go against their the most holy pope father john calvin uh they start frothing at the mouth and think you're crazy and they start calling you all kinds of names and saying you don't understand the bible well i understand it because i i, I believe what it says i don't believe calvin because when you take a look at the bible flat out for just what it says what it says what it means it doesn't line up with calvinism you literally have to cherry pick scripture, redefine the words and abuse and twist scripture and omit scripture to make it fit. I'm just saying. Take a look at what it says. And this is the other thing that comes into the next uh, topic I kind of wanted to, to discuss. As we see in Romans 128. Um, there's an interesting passage here in Romans 1:28. Now I'm not I'm not saying Calvinists aren't Christians. I'm not saying that. I wouldn't say that. 
Uh, Calvinism is a secondary thing. It is not salvationary. It's just a wrong teaching, a wrong doctrine that has crept into the churches that many people are adhering to and they don't understand why. But it's just because they were told to believe that and they don't study it themselves and they don't do the due diligence. But we take a look at Romans 128. Um, uh, Romans 120. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. Deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, and etc. Now, the, the one word there jumped out at me was uh, uh, just really grabbed my attention there in in verse 29 well why does why does it say how in verse 28 as even as they did not like to retain god in their knowledge and one of the sins is debate in the list of sins one of the one of the ones here is debate why what's wrong with debating well, see, debating itself is not—it's not—it's not so much as the problem. Well, you're trying to discuss and figure out the meaning of something. It's the manner of, the manner in which, the 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 type of, the the heart attitude, the intention. Now, what kind of debating here? Is God again? So we take a look at this word in Romans 129. You take a look in the Greek of what this word actually means, and you'll see it stands for contention, strife, wrangling. Contention, strife, wrangling. So this is a sinful kind. You're arguing for just for the sake of arguing with without a desire to retain God in your knowledge, but something else in your knowledge. You're trying to argue for something other than what God has already said. Than what God has intended. Like, for example, the Calvinistic atonement. Calvinism falls under this category. Because they argue for something other than the knowledge of God. Where uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, world means just the world of the elect. And they reject what God says in his word, but he how he so loved the world, and he is and he is a, he's the atonement for the sins of the whole world. It came for the sins of the world. He's, he's come he, that uh, whosoever, which means anyone, would believe on would be saved. They reject that. They reject the very love of God, as the Bible teaches. They reject the atonement of Christ. As the Bible teaches, they reject the very words that God chose for his scripture, and they redefine the words, redefine the meanings, and they rewrite the word of God and add to scripture, even creating new doctrines like a second regeneration that the Bible does not teach because the, the biblical regeneration does not fit with the Calvinistic regeneration. So they have to redefine the Bible's regeneration so that the, the, the Bible would teach the Calvinistic ideology. That is the form of debating that God hates. That is sin, is rejecting what scripture says and arguing for something else. 
that's what it's that, that's that's what it is and people fire back oh you just don't understand it oh you're just being this or you're just that and they'll just start name calling you and they start fighting you saying you don't understand what you're talking about and all you've literally been doing is just literally quoting back reciting back reading back their own statement of faith doctrinal statement they don't like to see what they even believe in they say well that's that's not the calvinism i believe in <laughs> Okay, here's the other thing too. Why are you even why are you even believing in something of another title that's after a man? Like Calvinism. Uh, I believe the Bible, not Calvin. I believe the Bible, not Augustine. I believe the Bible, not catechisms. I believe the Bible, not denominational statements of faith. I believe the Bible. The Bible. And only the Bible. This is my doctrinal statement. This is my statement of faith. He would say, well, you just, you're not, you're not properly studying. You're right. I'm not uh, studying it in the light of, of your theological catechisms. And because I don't accept your catechisms, I don't accept your statement of faiths, your doctrinal statements, all because I don't accept the way that your seminaries teach it, all because I don't accept how your fathers have taught it. You say that I don't understand the Bible? Well, you're right. I don't understand it in your light of your vein, of your sect. I just believe it for what it says. What it says is what it means. God so loved the world, and the word world means world. So you literally have to change the Bible. You have to add and subtract and change and modify and twist and monkey with Scripture to make it fit other ideas. People, uh, So many people just ha have so much trouble just accepting it for what it says that what it says what it means they have to be part of a sect they have to be part of a clan they have to be part of a clique and if they're not part of some special uh, secret mystic group they feel lost they have to be part of a special mystic secret group where they say would say that they have the secret knowledge they have the secret knowledge the secret answers that un unless you're part of their special secret select mystic clan, then you don't know what you're talking about. That you have to have the stamp approval of men uh, to be able to say that you understand the Bible. I have a big problem with that. And that is so wrong. That if you're not part of our denomination, then you're not a proper Christian. That's a bunch of nonsense. I'm sick to death death of the denominational uh, crusades i'm sick to death of this of the stupid catechismic arguments of people denouncing other christians because you don't adhere to the teachings of some other men people say that then well isn't that what you're doing on christian coffee time no no it's not about me it's not the teachings of brother matthew it's not me i regularly tell you okay open your bible read the passage go study it you tell me what it says look it says this and we read it we even back up and we cross and see what other passages of the bible correlate with this okay now go take that study it i'm not telling you what to believe at all i'm just telling you what it says I'm showing you the words this is what it says go do the study tell you tell me
for God so loved the world. Go take that, go look it up, tell me what it says, and you'll see what it says. We have to be careful listening to preachers and teachers and just being like religious sponges and just soaking it in and then just parroting what you were told without studying it yourself. So many individuals set themselves up as preachers and teachers. And what they're teaching you is not so much Bible as it is catechism, commentary, creeds, and councils. Ideas of men. They twist the Bible to fit the line and they teach other, other things. They say that you're predestined before salvation. No, that makes literally no sense because the Bible says you're predestined to do the works of Christ. So God is, what is he, what he's predestined is the way of salvation. That we are not elect of God before salvation. Saying you're elect of God before salvation is saying that you are incapable of going to hell. And if you are already elect of God before salvation, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? And if you are elect before salvation, then God is willing that some should perish. And we got a big problem in scripture. We got contradictions. You're not elected, God. You're elected to do the works of Christ, as the Bible says. You see, what they do is they shorten the verse and they ignore the last bit. And it says, you're elect of God. For what? To do the works of Christ. When are you elected to do the works of Christ? After you're saved, not before. You're not elect before salvation. So we see a lot of theological error. A lot of theological error in Calvinism. A lot of problems. And people are teaching things they, they don't actually understand because they're not reading the full context. They're not properly pairing scripture with scripture. They're pairing scripture with commentary. Scripture with catechism. Scripture with man's ideology. Scriptures with feelings. Like the prosperity gospel people. Like all the cults. They cherry pick into a scripture. So you see, it's not wrong to discuss scripture, to debate uh, uh, the teachings and things this, but it's in the manner, the spirit, the heart of it. If you're coming together and you're debating on a topic, you're trying to figure out what it means, like the Apostolic Council of Acts chapter 15. They came together and they were debating, trying to figure out, okay, what is it that, the, that Christ would want us to do about this issue with the Gentiles? That's proper debate. And then James stood up and by the Spirit of God explained. But debating to change scripture that's heresy that's heresy changing scripture itself redefining the words teaching other doctrines teaching for doctrines the traditions of men if that's not heresy i don't know what is and what they do is they go and they redefine the very meaning of heresy <laughs> it's insane. It, the people just can't believe what the Bible says. Like, now, I want to clarify myself very carefully here. I'm in no way denouncing this individual. I do not hate this individual. 
I do not deny this individual's salvation. He does great work. He, uh, he does a, a lot of debates in, in, uh, in, uh, in favor of Scripture. He defends, the, he defends Christianity. He does a lot of work in exposing cults and false preachers and false prophets. He does fantastic work in a lot of this. But... I just, according to the word of God, it says that if you see, if you see individuals that, that are teaching wrongly, that they, that they, that they should be called out on this. They should be warned. And if they're teaching publicly as a teacher of scripture, that their error should be called out. Now in this, I just, Want, want you to understand I'm saying this lovingly and in no way shape or form attacking the person of Corey Miner of Smart Christian Channel I've seen him go the way of Calvinism the past the past year or so he's been dabbling more and more and more in it and now he's teaching a lot of Calvinistic ideologies now, Calvinism itself is not salvationary, but as a secondary aspect, it's not salvationary. Uh, but there are a lot of flaws and errors in Calvinism itself, and it's a very dangerous cancer. Calvinism is a cancer. And Corey Miner's teaching Calvinism. He teaches you're regenerated before you're, sa before you're saved. And his latest video that just made me roll my eyes really hard, I'm sorry, but it's just so wrong. He says, he says, Enoch and Elijah, that the Bible says who were translated, that they did not see death, but that, the, that God took them, they didn't actually die. He doesn't believe they went to heaven. They just went up into the sky. He's arguing on the word heaven in the Bible, and he says he believes that Enoch and Elijah didn't go to heaven, that they just went up into the, the heavens, the sky. Um, let's take a look here. Like, for example, with uh, um, Elijah, 2 Kings, and I want chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 11, And it came to pass, as they still went on, this is, uh, this is uh, Elijah and Elisha, they're walking, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Um... And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel. Now, what is this? What's he referring to that? When you do a study on the chariot of Israel, this is talking about the, uh, the host of heaven that defends Israel. The, the, the army of God. A chariot of God, of the, of the host of God. That's what it means. The chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell by him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. Uh, Elijah went up into heaven. Okay, now just 
for sake of argument, for argument's sake, let's take a look. And this is 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the Hebrew here. Uh, where is it? 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> and okay, we see Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And the Hebrew word here, it, uh, the code is H8064. And we click on that one. Uh, Shamayim, and uh, the Hebrew definition, heaven, heaven's sky, heaven as the abode of God. The abode of God. Elijah went up to the abode of God. That's the word here. Um, okay. Now we see the other one here as well. Um, in Enoch, and we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, by faith Enoch, and this is Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Let's just go back here just for a quick second. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay, that's all it says in Genesis 5.24. And but we have a cross-reference with Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated. We're going to look at that one in a moment. Was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. All right, now... We're going to take a look at this. It's Hebrews 11. And this is verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated to transpose. To transpose. Okay? To change sides. Translated from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. Where did he go? Where did he go? He was translated by God. He did not see death, but was translated. It was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he was translated to the spiritual realm. He went from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. God took him. Just like God took Elijah. They didn't just go up into the sky. They went to God. They went to the abode of God. That's what scripture says. And furthermore, if they just went up in the sky and they didn't go to heaven, we also got a bit of a problem. Then why was Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses? Moses went to go to be with the Lord. Why was Elijah in the same form, in the same spiritual manifestation as Moses, standing on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Um, um, it says... He was taken up to heaven. That's what the scriptures flat out say. It does. It, if, if they were just taken up into the sky, it would say sky, and it wouldn't say heaven, uh, the abode of God. Um. So yeah, so uh, the passage there uh, purely um, uh, was Hebrews eleven five. Uh, the other one was Genesis chapter five verse twenty four. Genesis chapter five verse twenty four. That's the. Uh, the Genesis portion talks about Enoch. Uh, he was taken. So, um, 
we got to pay attention to what scripture says and we cross-reference here in teaching things like they didn't go to heaven but they just went up in the sky they went somewhere else that makes no sense because there is nowhere else there's heaven or hell there's no other place there's no other place that the saints would go now before the resurrection of jesus christ they would go down to sheol and in sheol where the two compartments there's the place of the damned that the sinners would go the unsaved would go to the, the the place of judgment and torment awaiting the great white throne judgment and there's a great gulf fixed betwixt and there's the side of paradise abraham's bosom abraham's bosom is this is the the place where the saints would go uh to, to dwell in the promise of god and the sealing of god and after the resurrection as we see in scriptures it teaches he he took uh, took them up and led captivity captive and now we go up to be with the lord we know we do not go down to paradise in sheol that's the scripture teaches so that happened after the resurrection so like the prophet samuel like the prophet samuel uh elijah and enoch would have gone down to paradise where the saints are where the prophets are where the servants of god are where the believers are before the resurrection they would, go, would have gone down to paradise that's what they, they were translated from here and taken down to be in the place of promise and at the time of resurrection they would have been taken up to be with the lord in heaven so it talks about in scripture go to be with god that's what it means in that we, we cross these things to figure out the specific details They're gone to be in the promise of god gone to be with the lord as the chariot came down and took him took elijah he was his spirit then would have been in the promise of god the place where god abides with his saints that's the scripture teaches in that so they didn't go up to be in the sky they didn't go up into the sky they went into uh, which was heaven in the old testament which is the paradise in sheol that's what scripture teaches as you see as king saul went to the witch of endor and we see uh, the, uh, the lord warned king saul one last time by the lord bringing up the spirit of the prophet samuel from from the depths in sheol from paradise spirit of samuel the prophet samuel came up and spoke of him that's the bible teaches and just like that that's where enoch and elijah would have gone so scripture teaches i don't understand the need to make it say something else i don't get this i don't understand this whole thing why so many christians have so much trouble just believing what it says they have to bring in some other teaching of some other thing and and like calvinism or armenianism or some other thing of the prosperity gospel or orthodoxy and all these other things why people can't just hold it like this just isn't enough but what it says is just isn't sufficient enough I don't understand that someone please help me why is this happening why why i don't get this i honestly don't i don't understand it i don't understand it so yeah um again i am not attacking cory minor i am not attacking him i am not denouncing him i don't hate him I don't deny his salvation or any of that kind of thing. Or I, I, this is not an exposing Corey Minor thing. This is not what I'm talking about. Is Calvinism? What I'm talking about is specifics of Scripture, and because he has a massive channel and he's uh, has a lot of influence, fantastic work that he has done. But I see some issues. 
I see some issues, some problems, and he's teaching Calvinism, and now he's teaching weird things, like Enoch and Elijah didn't go to be with the Lord, but they went up into the sky. That makes no sense. That's not what the Bible teaches. And he's uh, he's not properly cross-referencing Scripture to Scripture, so I just wanted to bring this up because he has uh, very influential videos out there, and, he's, and something needs to be said. So please understand this in the proper context as it's being presented. And if you have any questions, comments, questions on any of this, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. So yeah, <clears throat> what it says is what it means. The Bible says that, that, they went to, that they went to be with the Lord. It doesn't say they went up into the sky. You are not regenerated before salvation. It's the Spirit of God comes upon in Hebrews 6.46, and he gives you he gives you an enlightenment. He doesn't regenerate anything. Is he he shows you, he opens your eyes so you can see what it is, and you choose whether to believe or disbelieve, and you go from there. And if you choose to reject, how hard it is to renew them again. But if you choose to believe, you are saved. You are then brought into the family of God, born again, saved, washed by the regeneration of the Spirit of God, and then you are elected to do the works of Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says. What's your thoughts? Comments, questions, issues, insights, thoughts? Hey, you want to get mad at me? Go ahead. Seriously. I'd like to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this? Okay. Okay. Um, going down through. Is there anything along the lines of what I was just talking about before I change context here, change topics? Um, okay. Purely says God does not send people to hell. God created the way out, like a rescue boat, for us to get out so that we don't go to hell. Right. You're already on your way to hell. He's not sending you to hell. You're already on your way to hell. What he's doing is he's making a way of salvation so you don't go to hell. You send yourself to hell by your choosing to reject Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. And uh, let's see anything else on here? And from Scarlet to Snow says, and I just don't like the debates he was getting into with obvious false teachers. Yeah, that that that's a thing in of itself. Uh, it's really up to you. Some people like watching debates and this stuff. I used to do a lot of debates like that, and I stopped because it's just it's pointless. It's not getting anywhere. You're just you're just bashing heads with each other, and it's it's a pointless argument. As the Bible says, you're casting pearls before swine. You're throwing your food to the dogs, as, as Jesus said. Um, you're achieving nothing. You have better luck converting a brick out of the wall by banging your head on it. So there's no point in that. Uh, they do not have ears to hear, so why are you even bothering? It just becomes an, argu an argument for argument's sake is all it is. All right. Uh, uh, for Scott, this is, I'm just surprised because you, you've always said he's solid. Yeah, he was. Now, he teaches biblical salvation. Corey Minor teaches the biblical gospel. 
as we're saved by grace through faith by belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. He teaches that. That's biblical. That's fantastic. He teaches eternal security. He defends once saved, always saved, which is fantastic um, because that's what the Bible teaches. And it's just he's now falling into Calvinism, which is I'm sad to see because Calvinism is not biblical. And I'm just surprised and shocked and I'm just uh, bothered by this. And he's now teaching it as fundamental doctrine. I just, hang. You need. You should be aware of it. Now, if you're into that, there you go. But if you're not, and if you're wondering about it, this is what I have to say on it. So, okay, okay. Purely says, since being born again, I had listened to uh, Corey Minor regarding what you just mentioned, and so I had not studied this part for myself yet. So, so I'm thankful for this. I was also confused regarding his recent video regarding the point of regeneration being saved as two different periods was confusing. That's because that video is not biblical. That's the video I'm referring to. He teaches that you're regenerated before salvation. Implying that there is like two regenerations. That Because what he's doing, like I said, he's trying to find a way to fit Calvinism into the Bible. And the only way to do that is you have to monkey with scripture. And that's what he did in that video. He's teaching Calvinistic salvation, a Calvinistic regeneration, which is not biblical. So there you go. Um, okay, so uh, let's go up here. Rosalie has a question. Okay, uh, Rosalie says, can you please now or sometime go through the Lord's Prayer and explain each verse, especially what does it mean, may your kingdom come, why does it say lead us not in temptation, James says God doesn't lead us in temptation. Okay, um, all right, let's take a look here. <clears throat> I got some notes on this. Um, so yeah, the one thing that, that you must understand when it comes to the Lord's Prayer in the specific wording, uh, if we back up in verse nine, of Matthew 6. It's not the Lord's Prayer. That that That's actually a misunderstanding. Um, this is also, that falls under our thing was we always talk about the clear interprets the unclear with uh, everything that we've been talking about before, about regeneration, about Enoch and Elijah and other aspects about, uh, the, about grace, the meaning of grace, the meaning of faith the meaning of world uh, they look at all these things and we cross service the clear interprets the unclear the clear interprets the unclear what the bible flat out says we have to uh, pay very close attention to what it's saying and if we go to matthew 6 verse 9 after this manner after this manner so this is an example an example this isn't meant to be a verbatim you know like how some 
religious circles teach you know kind kind of special prayers. say this prayer if you say this prayer and, it'll, and it's almost like an enchantment kind of thing and you you repeat it if you say these words it, no 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 this is an example he's giving us an example after this manner therefore pray ye who's he talking to who's he talking to his disciples he's talking to his disciples so this is the 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 prayer of the disciples the disciples prayer not the lord's prayer so the disciples prayer after this manner pray ye our father which art in heaven so uh see here as again he's going step by step giving us examples on things if you if, uh, to learn how to pray is you start with with recognition and glory of our lord god of our holy father of uh, of our god which uh, which art in heaven as he reigns as sovereign as lord god creator of the world hallowed be thy name so glorifying of the Lord. So the first things in prayer is is calling upon the Lord and glorying in the Lord, as magnifying His name, His power, who He is. Thy kingdom come. About about how the Lord wins. We read the back of the book and we win about the victory, the the, the sovereignty of God, about the kingdom of God, all that is of the Lord. And also comparing this with what Jesus says. The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What is the kingdom of God? Thy kingdom come. Salvation of the Lord come down. As see people saved, that that the people come into the understanding and knowledge of God, that they'd repent and believe the truth, like they did with the, with John the Baptist. He called all the people to him, and he, he preached repentance, and they repented in the name of the Lord, and they believed on the Lord. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the Lord would reign here like he does in heaven, that we, we would see the Lord go through and move people. We see revivals and people come to the knowledge of God and that worldliness and paganism would be done away. Give us this day our daily bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But uh, the, um, give us this day our daily bread as, as as god gave manna to the to israel in the wilderness that god would give us that 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 which we need as well as uh, physical uh, sustenance as well as spiritual that the lord would provide the provision of god forgive us our debts our trespasses our iniquities and that forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors so we see that we are to forgive others as the lord forgives us lead us not in temptation but deliver us from evil Yes, the Lord does not uh, tempt us with evil, but makes ways of escape. As well as we see, lead us, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we see that how God leads in the wilderness, as he makes a way in the wilderness. That you'd open my eyes to see where you're taking me, that I wouldn't just see the trials and the hardships, but would see that the guidance of God. That like Peter walking on the water, I wouldn't, see, wouldn't pay attention to the waves, but I would see Christ and I continue to walk. As he makes a way in the wilderness, he delivers us. He will not tempt thee above that which you're able. As you see the uh, the trials and the uh, and the uh, tests of God, that understanding for what they are. It's not temptation of evil, uh, unlike what Calvinism teaches. God does not tempt with evil, but but he does bring tests. He does bring trials. It, that he will he will try your faith. You see the furnace of God as uh, as as a as silver is tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, as the Lord purifies us. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. It's all about you. And how the prayer ends. 
Thine is the kingdom, the power. It's God's, for there is no power but of God. There is no power but of God. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and the glory forever. So we see, it gives us examples of things uh, to keep in mind, order of uh, uh, this is how the Lord shows as an example of how to pray. So I hope that makes sense. Okay, um, going down through. Rosalie has a question. Can you explain Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. Okay, is there any comments, any of this? Okay, um. Okay, uh, what we're talking about previously, purely says, yes, I saw the errors there, thankfully. Uh, Kirk says, I think there is a tendency for teachers to present extra biblical beliefs to gain interest and attention. <laughs> Kirk hit it right on the head. There you go. There you go, because you gain more of a following, you gain more attention, you gain, you gain more notoriety when you pick a side in a clan. It's the whole clan wars. That's what it's all about. Kirk hit it right on the head. Exactly. It, that's that's what a lot of it's about. Where you you just can't hold this. You have to pick a side. You have you have to give in to the pressure, and you have and you yeah. And when you do that, you you'll note that a lot of people when they pick a side, they pick a clan that their their uh, their subscriber base will just explode. When you refuse to pick sides, you make more enemies. <laughs> That's exactly it. And Kirk goes on to say, whereas we who go, who go get grounded with scripture celebrate in truth, God's truth, God's truth, not man's truth, not their ideas, not their feelings and opinions, not their catechisms and traditions and all of that. You're right, Kirk, 100%. Bang on. Excellent. Exactly. <laughs> okay. With that. Okay. Um, Luke. Rosalie's question on Luke 19 verse 40. Uh, what does it mean that stones would burst into cheers? Okay, Luke 19. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's Luke 19 verse 40. Alright, so we back up here. Okay, it's Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey and as he's riding in, all the people gathering, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're throwing down their palm branches and their cokes and everything. That uh, Verse 38. Uh, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. We see in another passage where they say, Tell thy disciples to be silent. Rebuke them. Tell them to stop doing this. Be quiet. Because the Pharisees don't want to hear Jesus Christ being glorified and magnified. Now, again, we have to go back, refresh our memory, refresh our understanding. Who is Jesus? He's God. God Almighty. Almighty, sovereign Lord God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. So, uh, okay, now with that understanding, we see what the Lord says about how all creation... Uh, the trees, uh, the trees shall clap their hands. The mountains shall rejoice at, at, uh, at the coming of the Lord. Verse 40, 
And Jesus answered and said unto the Pharisees, I tell you that if these, the disciples, hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. What does he mean by that? Uh, that that's literal. Like the Bible says, all creation groans because of sin. Um, and that creation would cry out the glories of God if the saints stop. That's literal. That the stones would start speaking. Well, well how is that possible? That doesn't make sense. Oh, it, it makes as much sense as God scraped the dust of the ground to, uh, together, uh, created the form of Adam, and breathed into him the breath of life and created a living soul. So uh, this is this is literal. When Jesus says something uh, uh, so matter-of-factly like this, that's a literal statement. It's a literal truth. It, it literally means that stones that, for example, this rock, with Jesus saying that this rock would start speaking like for example how the lord caused a balaam's donkey to start speaking the lord is able to cause the stones of the ground to start speaking you that's that's it's a literal statement that's what he means so yeah that's do you take take that passage literally okay uh going down through okay rosalie says uh another question in luke 22 okay uh verse 17 it says that that jesus says that he will not drink wine again until the kingdom of god has come does this mean until the resurrection or until christ's millennial reign luke 22 17. All right, so we, we see this. Um, uh, there's another another reference in. Oh, I forget where. My brain's shutting down. Uh, Luke, we'll just go with this one. And he took the cup and gave thanks. He said, "Take this and divide amongst yourselves." For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And a cross reference here with First Corinthians chapter eleven. um oh yeah that's that passage there where paul's talking about uh, about uh, the communion table this is the passage that is commonly read first corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 uh to 29 is what's commonly read at the communion table at church uh but uh the bread and the uh, the wine uh, this is we do this in remembrance of the lord but the kingdom of god here in this context of luke 22 and with Jesus, I will not drink of this until the kingdom of God shall come. This is the kingdom of God is established. Is established. Um, uh, this is where we go to uh, when uh, he creates uh, his his kingdom comes down and is established on earth. And, and this is more than just the millennial reign. Um, there's a, I have notes on this, but I can't remember where my notes are. So I'm sorry. I'll have to come back to this. Uh, but to, to give more detail on this, but this, but this, no, it's not, uh, the second coming of Christ or the millennial reign. This is the actual established, uh, time of God. I believe, believe what it's talking about is the new heaven and the new heaven and new earth where we go to be with the Lord, like the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven and where he will, uh, drink and eat with his saints in, at the, I haven't finished my coffee. 
I'm tired. I didn't sleep well last, last night. So he said, says at the marriage supper of the lamb, the marriage supper of the lamb, when after it's all said and done, after the great white throne judgment, when the kingdom of God is established and every all, all sin, the devil and hell, that's all dealt with. And we have the marriage supper of the lamb that uh, he sits down with us and we, we have that uh, that supper with him. He eats and drinks with us in the, in the established kingdom of God. I just remembered my notes. So that's what it's talking about there. Um, so no, it's not the millennial reign. It's not the second coming. It's the established kingdom. So I'm sorry. I am very tired right now. <laughs> Rosalie has a question. I hope I can answer it. It seems that in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, 32 to 36, Jesus says that the final judgment will be about works. Okay. But if it were about works, uh, there would be no good people, no, no sheep, just goats. Can you explain that? Matthew 26. <clears throat> and yeah, Matthew 26, 32 to 36. Um, I think you got the wrong reference. It doesn't say that. Matthew 26. I'm in the right chapter, right? Yep. No, I think you gave the wrong reference there. Um, can you please go over that again? Which reference are you referring? Okay. Um, going down through the comments. Okay. Rosalie has a question in John 6, 53. Um, yeah, this one is uh, commonly misunderstood by the Catholic, by the Orthodox, by the Anglican, and all of these. Um, uh, they they teach a more of uh, what's called transubstantiationism, where they believe it's literal that that uh, you must eat of the body and drink the actual blood, like cannibalize the body of Jesus. That when you cannibalize Jesus, then you have your sins. They completely misunderstand this. But what is Jesus getting at? In, in John 6, 53, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall have no life in you. What does he mean by this? Um, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay. Well, we see flesh, we see his body and his blood. His body and his blood. How was his body and blood given, and how do we take the body and the blood of Jesus Christ into ourselves? What does he mean by eating? By, by taking in is what this means by context is taking in how do we take in the body and blood of jesus christ in ourselves for life for there to be life what does the bible teach when you cross reference well when you call upon the name of the lord in faith and belief the spirit of god comes upon you indwells you washes you cleanses you changes you the blood of jesus christ is our atonement and cleanses us so we see he gave his body for our sins the lamb of the lamb of god which take away the sin of the world how how are we given life so we take this then we keep reading this is what the catholic orthodox and anglican of them don't do they don't keep reading in context we take a look at this and in uh verse 63 it is the spirit that quickeneth what does it mean quicken to quicken is to regenerate literally 
to quicken, to be made alive, to regenerate, to give life. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the spirit that regenerates, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. And what did he say? Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. How do we have life in us? The, the words that I say to you, they are spirit, they are life. What he's teaching of himself, he's giving of himself. He, what, what does the scripture say about what he's giving himself for us, for our salvation, for our eternal life? His body and his blood. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Okay, so our sins are washed away and we are born again, saved, sealed, forgiven, brought into brought into life by what he has done. And when we believe the words of the gospel, confess the belief of the heart, we're born again, saved. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. So he's giving of himself. And we take what he has given and we believe it in our hearts. We accept it in ourselves. We, we accept him into ourselves. What he has said, his gospel, his truth, we are saved, sealed. That's what he say. So you have to take verse 63. So when we take a look at verse 53, you want to combine it with verse 63. And then you take that with, okay, now what has he gone to do? How, how are we regenerated, renewed? How, how are we brought to life? How are we quickened? How, how are we given eternal life? What did Jesus say in John chapter 3 to, to uh, Nicodemus who came to him by night? Uh, when you, how, how are we born again? John 3, 16. When you believe on the gospel. So if, uh, Ephesians 1, 7. Ephesians 1, 13. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Acts 16, 30, 31. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. So you take Acts 16, 30, 31. Uh, Paul and the jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The words of what Jesus said, who he is, what he came to do, and what he achieved of his body and his words and his blood. The fullness of Jesus Christ, of who he is. When I believe that, when I take that into myself, I believe it, I make it a part of me. I believe that this faith, this belief is my belief. I shall have life. And that's what he means by that. And just as you eat food and you take it in you and it becomes and the nutrients everything it becomes a part of you it, it, for your health for your life you eat these spiritual things of the lord jesus christ and it, be, and it gives you spiritual life that's what he means by that hope that makes sense um so yeah let me know if that makes sense for you okay Okay, where was where do we leave off there um okay there we are um purely says the significance of the eastern gate has me intrigued but haven't studied yet the archaeology or prophecies other than reading through quickly apparently a big deal excited to learn more about that eastern gate um I have to refresh my mind on that one i think i know what you're talking about yeah there's a lot of stuff uh going on like i just saw a post that apparently israel 
has shipped over. What is it? I want to get the words correctly. Turn on my stupid phone. Turn on. There we are. Um. <sighs> there it is. Okay. That uh, uh, apparently Israel has just shipped over red heifers. Red heifers arrive in Israel in preparation for third temple. Um, now, if you go back in the time of Moses, that the the specific uh, sacrifices, there's great detail uh, for sacrifices on consecration, sacrifices for all kinds of stuff, or for sanctifying everything else, cleansing. Um, that, uh, uh, that apparently that uh, the type of sacrifice you're supposed to do for the consecrating of the temple, you're supposed to use red heifers, according to the law in the Old Testament. And they and that line has uh, of a specific type of line of of, uh, of cow was was lost, and they actually were able to through genetics. I don't know how that works. They were able to bring back that line of cow and now they have these heifers they're ready uh, red heifers just like the bible talks about and they're ready now for their sacrifices and they have them in preparation for their temple and more and more and more and more things are being fulfilled and we see all kinds of stuff going on uh, new discoveries uh, new prophecies being fulfilled stuff about jerusalem and israel and the gates and discoveries all kinds of stuff there's so much there's so much going on um it's just overwhelming uh the amount of archaeological discoveries that prove the bible true fulfillments of prophecies stuff that happens like what happened a year a few years back in damascus and everything else what's happening at the red sea i forget which book of the old testament talked about it i forget which one it talks about uh, that in the end about the prophecy of the end of days that life will return to the red sea no sorry the dead sea life will return to the dead sea um and uh what what do we see just recently well we know the dead sea is well it's called dead because there's no life no life it's super super uh, uh high in salt nothing can can live in it but recently uh, the past few years uh they've been uh noting that life is returning to the dead sea Flowers and plants are growing are growing along the shore, and some fish are starting to appear in certain parts of the Dead Sea as well. Uh, life is returning just like it was foretold. So yeah, it, it's it's quite amazing of what's going on, the amount of discoveries. Now I've talked about it before as arguments for for skeptics. Arguments for skeptics is. Um, how many proofs do you need until you would believe the truth? Until you'd accept it as true? What would it take? Now, the one thing that I, I always want to do whenever I'm debating with individuals, talking with individuals uh, in, in uh, defense of scripture, is I always want to make sure with people that... Uh, like atheists or whatever else people of other religions i'm talking with muslims or whatever i always want to make sure that i make a distinction between true biblical born-again christianity and what it's not because a lot of people the unsaved when they hear christian they immediately think catholic they think orthodox they think those those hyper traditional hyper ritualistic type tradition 
churches. That, that's not Christianity. That, I'm talking specifically about Jesus in the Bible, Christianity according to the Bible. I'm not talking about traditions. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. No, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Um, when it comes down to the born-again Christian faith, we have to learn to be very specific because there's so many things out there that we don't want to be aligned with. We don't want people to confuse and conflate or any of that kind of stuff. We're not part of denominations. We're not part of cliques and clans. We're not part of any of that kind of stuff. We're not part of the Catholic Church. We want to, we want to separate ourselves from all of that. What does it mean to be Christian? Should we be called Christians? Well, the Bible says they were called Christians first at Antioch in Acts, I want to say chapter 8. Now I have to know, I'm going to go crazy. The Acts chapter 8. I think, I could be wrong. No, it's not Acts chapter 8. Or I can't find it. It's in Acts. Um, <laughs> they call Christians first to Antioch. But the word Christian was not created by the Catholic Church. It was not created by tradition and all that kind of thing uh, of the denominations or any of that kind of thing. But Christian is just a word. Christian means follower of, disciple of Christ. That's what it means. So yes, we're called Christians. We should be called Christians. But there are so many sects and cults and stuff out there calling those Christians. Yeah, just like they have Bibles too. Does that mean we shouldn't have Bibles? They gather in church buildings too. So should we not have church buildings? They play music too. So should we not have pianos and music in our churches? It's, it's, it's a silly argument, but that's the logic of some. All because, all because cults and pagans and whatever do that doesn't mean that the thing in and of itself is bad. Just like, well, devil worshippers play guitars. Does that make guitars bad? So, But we take a look at the biblical definition. We see cults believe in a Jesus. Should we call him Jesus? So we see the Jesus of the Bible. Christianity of the Bible. Proper religion according to the Bible. Church according to the Bible. So you see, bring everything back to the proper biblical specifics. We want to be very specific. And when we talk, when we're talking about the Christian faith, we need to be very specific. And this is what we try to do here at Christian Coffee Time, is teach the specificity of the born-again Christian faith in light of all of the other doctrines and teachings and theologies and opinions and stuff that's out there. What does it actually say in the Bible? What does it actually mean? So there's so much stuff in here. Like my wife and I were, were actually talking about it. one of her favorite things. She loves dinosaurs. The whole thing on dinosaurs and, and dragons and stuff and what the Bible teaches on all this. She lo loves that stuff. And it's fantastic. It's amazing. You look at all, all of the stuff. And there are some professed Christians out there who say, well, dinosaurs never existed. Seriously, there are so-called professed Christians out there. I have seen YouTube videos of so-called professed Christians arguing that, that dinosaurs never existed. You know why? You know what, what their argument is? Because evolutionists use dinosaurs to prove evolution. So all because they 
they take a creature that God made and try to use it as proof of their nonsense that that makes the thing in of itself bad. That makes no sense. They say, they say, well, the, the dinosaurs never existed and it was the devil. The devil created the dinosaur bones and put the dinosaur bones in, in the ground. The, 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 the dinosaur bones are creations of the devil. What? Because dinosaurs are proof of evolution. No, they're not. It's just crazy people are looking at the bones wrongly. They are, they are looking at them incorrectly. That's what they're doing. It's like Darwin, uh, now Charles Darwin, takes a look at finches. You know, the little bird, the finches. And he sees all the different kinds of finches. He says, See, that's proof of evolution. No, that's proof of speciation. All because he says that the finches here are proof of evolution. That means finches don't exist. That doesn't make sense. No, the Bible talks about them and dinosaurs. Again, the word dinosaurs coined in the 1500s. They're called terrible lizards. They're this another species of creature and animal that God created. And they went extinct like many other animals have gone extinct. Tons of animals have gone extinct from insects and bugs and birds and fish and everything else have gone extinct as many animals have and they're they're animals that were created by god and have been along with man ever since the dawn of time there are still some dinosaurs still alive today uh there's the the the, the brachiosaur that's down in the congo swamp there's a pterodactyls in arizona there in the 1500s there is a triceratops in france there's documentation of all it's all there um no they weren't created by the devil it's not proof of evolution it's just they're trying to apply evolution upon the dinosaur and use the dinosaur as proof of it. Like how the Calvinist takes Calvinism, applies it to the words, certain words and things in the Bible and redefines it to try to make it as proof of Calvinism. That's what they do. And what we do is to take things and bring it back to what it's what it actually is, according to the Bible, uh, the specifics of Scripture. We have to be specific when we're talking. Be very careful of the words you choose. What, what are you saying? What are you meaning? What are you implying? We've got to be very, very careful. Uh, there's a lot of uh, wrong doctrine, a lot of false teaching. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, it's out there and Christians are being deceived. Lots of Christians are being deceived by it, have been deceived by it, are confused by a lot of these things. What does it mean by this? What does it say? Study it out. Study it out. Read the full context. Where else in the Word of God does it talk about it? Correlate Scripture to Scripture. Rightly divide the Word of Truth. What it says. What it means. Pure and simple. So yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, Jerry has a question here in John 1, 18. Yes, purely. Yeah, a lot of flat earthers like to <laughs> like to question the whole dinosaur thing. Yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah. Now you got me on a tangent here. Uh, there is uh, if you if you go down that rabbit hole, I'm telling you the insanity is so mind twisting you will go crazy. Uh, there are people. <laughs> now it's not. It's not funny, but it's funny, but it's not funny. I lost a good friend of mine. Uh, we, we were friends, like best friends for years. 
years and years and he turned against me and now thinks I'm a uh, a preacher of Illuminati cat Catholicism stuff because I don't believe in flat earth um, he believes uh, I'm no different than a Roman Catholic Jesuit Illuminati Jesuit and I'm and I'm preaching lies because I don't believe in flat earth and he also believes that mountains are actually tree stumps there is a movement out there with the flat earthers it's called the 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 ancient giant tree truth where they believe that mountains are actually ancient tree stumps yeah there's a lot of crazy stuff out there <laughs> There's, there's an insanity for everything. This is an insanity for everyone. Okay, but I'm, okay, let's get back to this. All right, but yeah, what does the Bible say? What it says, what it means. We don't need to make up new things. What it says, what it means. I don't understand this need to create new doctrines. I don't, I don't get it. Anyways, okay, so back to Jerry's question in John 1.18. Okay, let's see. John 1, 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Okay. Now, the Bible says no man has seen God at any time and lived. No, what does he mean by this? By the actual spiritual form of God. That, like, it, in the spiritual plane, going there, seeing God for in all of his magnificence and glory, everything, the brightness in heaven, uh, uh, with, with who he is in his spiritual form. He has to have a veil covering, like the burning bush, the Shekinah glory cloud, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, or the body of Jesus. There's always a veil covering for us to be able to behold God. Because we can't look at God as he is. Like, like for example, Moses in Sinai asked the Lord if he could see him for who he is in all his glory. And God says, no, I'm sorry, you can't. You are incapable of looking at me in, in, uh, as I am in my full form and glory. But rather what he did, he says, okay, go, what I can do for you is go over here, stand by this rock. And as I pass by, I will open the cloud and you will see a part of me, a part of God's back, just a sliver, a sliver of God's back. And as God went by, Moses beheld and saw just that sliver of God's back. And, and that was so much that, that uh, it says that Moses' face shone. It was so bright he had to put a veil over his face because the people were scared of him because Moses was glowing. Moses is actually glowing. And he had to put a, a, a veil over himself so people wouldn't be afraid of him because he was glowing. Scripture says. Um, now... That's the only time in here, but he Moses did not see the face of God. He did not see the full form. Rather, he just saw a bit of the glory that, that was off of God's back. That's what scripture says. Now, others in the Bible saw a form of. They saw a manifestation that God gave them, like a vision, like a vision. Or where God would come down and it was called a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. A pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, the Spirit of God would come down, take on a form, and show themselves to certain individuals. Like, for example, like God did for, uh, for Gideon. 
Or Gideon saw this one sitting under this one tree, and Gideon realized that this is the Lord sitting there with a, with a, with a staff underneath this one tree. And Gideon went and prepared a sacrifice and set a sacrifice up for, for him. And and the and this one took the staff and touched the sacrifice. It burst into flames, and this man went up in the smoke, up, up back up to heaven. Uh, this was a pre-incarnate manifestation. These ones did in the in Old Testament that saw God, they did not see God in his spiritual form. They saw a form that God created called a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. Uh, uh, where God, like he did for the burning bush, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, Shekinah glory cloud, body of Jesus, he uh, created either a vision or a, a manifestation or a form for himself to appear but no man has actually seen the actual spirit of god in the spiritual realm sitting on his throne that's the scripture teaches on that so i hope that makes sense there um so yeah when we come down to passages and parts of scripture that can be confusing or you're wondering about we have to always remember right off the bat First and foremost, before anything and everything, there are no contradictions in the Word of God. None. None. There are no contradictions in Scripture. There's not one. Because if there were, God's a liar and you can't trust Him and you can't trust the Bible. If there are any contradictions in the Bible, throw it in the garbage. God's a liar. There's none. He preserves His Word unto all generations and His Word is above His very name. For God to allow contradictions to come into his word, for his word to get so corrupted that we don't have the word of God, God's a failure and a liar. Now there are individuals who go and create corrupted versions of the Bible. We've discussed that kind of thing. Like the NIV, for example, which is notorious for blasphemies and heresies, making Jesus a liar, giving names of God to the devil, and omitting passages talking about the blood of Christ, all kinds of nonsense and garbage all throughout the NIV. It's absolutely terrible. Um, you see, like, the message translation, which is absolute just blasphemous heresy. And there's other versions of it there. There are people who go and try to create corrupted versions and then claim, because of these corrupted versions they created, then claim that there are contradictions in the Bible. No, you created the contradictions by twisting and changing, omitting and adding to the Word of God. You could do it with any book. Pull any book off the shelf, create a new version of it, and take out passages and change words and context and everything else. And the, then say, well, the author created a confusing story. No, you created a, a confusing translation of the story. But when we study the actual word of God, and we go back as the scriptures are preserved in the Hebrew and the Greek, and from the Hebrew and the Greek, we translate to English, French, Russian, German, Spanish, Chinese, whatever. We go back and we, we study as we see as God has preserved his word. In the original languages and we translate that to all other languages but we got to understand this and study it we see the meanings of these things like for example in john 8 24 what does jesus mean if you don't believe that i am you'll die in your sins what does that mean i am ego emi means the always existing one the always existing one what does that mean almighty sovereign lord god if you don't believe that i'm the almighty god manifest in the flesh you'll die in your sins so from that we see it meaning that if that the deity of Jesus Christ is salvationary. 
So studying the meanings of these things and proper application, and as we do by our, our principle here, clear interprets the unclear, what it says very clearly in one passage, we then can understand, like the question, like the question that Jerry brought up, fantastic example of this. Fantastic example. The Bible says no man has seen God any time and lived. Okay, that's a clear, blatant statement. No man has seen God at any time and lived. Okay. Then what does it mean by the, all these others that apparently saw God? Okay. The clear interprets the unclear. By cross-referencing, comparing scripture to scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth, we know that what it says here is the clear truth. No man has seen God at time and lived. So then, therefore, we know what these did not see. So what then did they see? Well, we see by example how God would take form and, and either by visions or other manifestations or other forms. And we see that, uh, that God would visit people. Like God came and sat down with two of his angels, sat down with Abraham and had dinner. That was God and two angels that came and visited Abraham and they had dinner. And the two angels went, uh, went to Sodom and Gomorrah. That was God sitting in Abraham's tent, telling Abraham how he'll, how Abraham will have have a, a child, and Sarah, his wife, laughed, and God says, "Why is she laughing?" And you know that whole story. That was God sitting in Abraham's tent. Okay, well, God took on a form for Abraham to be able to behold Him. Abraham saw God, a form of God. So that's what it's saying. So we, the clear interprets the unclear. So we got to be very careful with how we look at things. There's no contradictions, but we use the clear interprets the unclear principle that helps us to understand scripture uh, uh, better and more proper and, and more clearly. So, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, but Jerry, that was a fantastic example of this principle, the clear interprets the unclear and uh, awesome question too. Um, but yeah. What we take a look at in this broadcast, uh, something we could take away from this, is more of a question. What are you believing? Why do you believe what you believe? And how do you know what you believe is the truth? Because someone else told you? Because that's the religious tradition? Because that's what these other books that are inter uh, interpret to tell you is what the meaning is. Why are you believing what you believe? How do you know 100% sure that it's the truth, what you believe? Because there are hundreds, thousands, millions of people out there that would disagree with you. And, and all these people all around the world have differing views and opinions of different theological ideas, doctrinal ideas, and and uh, traditional ideas and ritualistic ideas how do you know what the truth is how can we know what the truth is well there is only one truth there's only one scripture there are multiple interpretations of the word of god there's only one interpretation what it says is what it means and we then challenge the veracity of everyone and everything that's out there, including me. Anybody who sits down, stands up, makes videos, preaches, teaches, evangelizes, whatever, 
anybody, man, woman, child, anyone, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter how many degrees, doesn't matter how many diplomas, doesn't matter how big the notoriety is, doesn't matter how, how old they are, how long ago they lived, or whatever else, anyone who speaks scripture, who speaks anything regarding the born-again Christian faith is to be challenged. Everyone and anyone. Any other book, source, material, vision, dream, experience, idea, opinion, feeling, teaching, doctrine, ideology, doesn't matter what it is. Man, woman, or child, doesn't matter who it is. Challenge them. We see that in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, even the Apostle Paul was challenged by the Bereans. What did he have to say about them challenge, challenging his authority? Challenging his teaching? Acts 17. Uh, Acts 17 verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went in unto the synagogue of the Jews. Now these, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things are so. The Apostle Paul called them noble, more noble than even another church, another group in Thessalonica. They, that these ones are more noble because they challenged Paul's teaching by checking it, double checking it with the scriptures, making sure that everything Paul said was the, was the Bible truth. We're to do that with everyone and everything. Take no one's word for anything. Search it out. I tell you, Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. Prove it. Prove it. Search the scriptures. How do you know? Go look it up yourself. Do the study yourself. See these things. Salvation is by grace, your faith, by belief alone, period. Go look it up. Search it up. Make sure. and See it yourself. Works have nothing to do with it. Baptism has nothing to do with it. And, and, and on and on. Everything that's said by anyone about anything. What is regeneration according to the word of God? Don't take anyone's word for it. Oh, because they know fancy words and languages and studies, other sources where they have great arguments. They could have great arguments, but they could be greatly wrong. And then there are heretics out there teaching all kinds of other foul nonsense and everything else. And, and the heretics love to use orthodox language. They love to use scripture and, and all this to prove their arguments. They know how to twist it. Check and double check and triple check everything. Even Satan uses scripture. And since Satan can deceive a third of the angels, what makes you think he can't deceive you? So we, why do you believe what you believe? How do you know it's the truth? Have you done the study yourself? Have you searched these things out? Take no one's word for it. Nobody, nobody is the authority. This is the authority. And there's a lot of misunderstandings of it. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of error. There's a lot of heresy. There's a lot of wrong doctrine. There's a lot of false prophets, a lot of false Christs. There's a lot of devils out there that are very religious. There are a lot of, 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 priest collar devils out there uh, teaching and deceiving the people how do you, how do you know that you have the truth god says search it out search out the scriptures search the scriptures for therein you shall find salvation how can you know 
So something to think about. It, it, it's a painful thing. It really hurts when you see more and more saints, more and more Christians get deceived by wrong doctrine or whatever, and they start going off on tangents and stuff. It, it's sad. Um, it could be anything from the whole flat earth thing. You know what? Just to be 100% honest, I honestly, honest to God, hand before God, do not care what the shape of the earth is. It makes no bit of difference. If I found out, if I find out in five minutes that the earth is actually in the shape of a giant space banana, what difference will that make to my life? Like, seriously, makes no difference. Well, why are we arguing and fighting over the shape of dirt? How does the shape of dirt do anything? It does nothing. Uh, and, well, the government's hiding it. Why? Because it proves God. Oh, and the Bible doesn't. Why would the government be so concerned about the shape of the earth unless you had a special rockets and everything go up into space you can't really see it but they're not hiding bibles they're not hiding all the archaeological discoveries to prove the bible true they're not hiding all the historicity that proves the person of jesus christ they're not hiding all of the the doctrines and teachings that we have in our hand that this this here is not as as important as the shape of dirt just saying people get off on tangents it shape of dirt doesn't matter then there's all kinds of other false doctrines out there that, that get a bit more dire. Like attacking the very blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Saying God God does not want people, uh, everyone to be saved. God actually doesn't want other people to be saved. God actually wants these, these other people to go burn in hell. That God is the originator, the creator of sin. Um, if your God is the creator of sin, your God is a devil and not God. FYI, you can call me whatever name you want. I don't care. But if your God is the creator of sin, your God is a devil and not God. Your God is not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is holy, sinless, perfect. God cannot lie. But according to Calvinism, God created lying. Contradiction. So you got a problem there. So why do you believe what you believe? How do you know it's the truth? Pair all scripture with all scripture. Stop pairing scripture with the writings of other people. Stop interpreting scripture by the teachings of other people. Don't interpret the Bible through what I'm telling you either. I'm just showing you, look, the Bible says this. Go do the study yourself. And if you refuse to do the study yourself, what does that show? You actually don't care. And just saying, just calling it what it is. Uh, Steve has a question here. What do you think of these churches starting to incorporate new age practices behind closed doors? A church we just left came to pray with us and initiated a sozo session so that they could heal my wife yeah that's called occult that's that's called christian witchcraft christian occultism christian mysticism uh those people are no more christians than the gravel in my driveway is 
those people clearly don't understand the Bible and and they're trying to find uh, new divine messages and new hidden knowledge that they're more Gnostics than they are Christians. Uh, that That's Gnosticism, that's occultism, that's witchcraft, that's devilish. And I really, really hope you rebuke that and and uh, prayed uh, prayed against that and getting uh, and got rid of that um make sure you you pray against that and ask the lord to cleanse you and your family your home from all that nonsense uh, that's that's very demonic what they did very demonic yeah that's uh those guys are churches uh they're they're not churches of god they are cults they're cults of new age witchcraft occultism that's what that is that's not christian that's disgusting. Yes. <laughs> yes, purely. It makes me very mad too. There's so much confusion out there. There's so much nonsense. Uh, we, we can't be followers of individuals. We're followers of Jesus Christ only, not of other men and women and other people. We're followers not of tradition. We're not followers of religiosity. We're not followers of denomination. We're followers of the bible the bible is our authority this is our tradition this is our ritual this is our everything nothing else nothing else matters but this nothing else matters but this and we pray and teach and live as the lord says in his word uh, he's not going to teach you new divine impartations of knowledge he doesn't do that this is our oracle not people this is our oracle, not people. The Spirit of God teaches us through this, not through so-called modern prophets. It's, there's so much nonsense out there, it makes your head spin. Uh, Steve says, yes, we did pray against it. We, le we left as soon as we found out what they were doing. Went through so much spiritual attack through, through all of that day, and by God's grace, he brought us through all that. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah, that's that's absolutely terrifying. Absolutely, just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Especially more so for me and and others like me who came out of the occult. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with my personal testimony. I have it on YouTube and over on our uh, website. Um. Yeah, christiancoffeetime.ca i have it all written out so you can read it or you can watch it uh here on our youtube channel in the playlist testimonies uh from witchcraft to jesus my full story um in the occult for over 16 years and the lord saved me out of that and born again saved uh by my lord god jesus christ by grace through faith by belief and uh um coming out of that it it absolutely blows my mind the sheer ignorance and deception mostly ignorance of modern professed christians who are literally taking on occultic practices and teachings and then they say you're wrong you're exaggerating you're ignorant for going against what they're doing when you can see it for clearly for what it is, but they won't they won't believe it. it. It's like the argument that I use. It's like say uh, your car needs to be repaired, so you take your car to to the garage and you get a mechanic to take a look at it. 
Now, this mechanic is a professional. He's been doing it for his, his whole life. He's, he's trained in it. He's a professional. He knows what he's talking about. And you take your car and the mechanic, the professional mechanic is looking at your car and your mechanic says, okay, your car needs this, this, and this. And you say, no, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I think it needs this, this, and this. Who would argue with the auto mechanic about what's wrong with your car? But this is what modern Christians are doing with people who know what they're talking about. The people who come out of the occult and you're arguing with them. I was a professional. I was, I got paid. I made money off it. I, I was a leader. I was a teacher of it. I, I, the, the, I, I had so many devils, so many familiar spirits. I was a master of, of the occultic arts. And for 16 years, I practiced in this stuff. And people tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about when I, when I tell them that their new age practices and their occultic practices, their Gnostic practices are demonic. And they don't believe me. It just, it just blows my mind. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, and you do, and you've never been in it. Yeah, the, these so-called churches that are practicing this new age garbage nonsense, uh, they're cults, Gnostic cults. They are Gnostic cults, not Christian. And they, yep, and Steve says, yep, and they, 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 these new age people turned, turned it around and said, we're running from Jesus. No, you're running from their Jesus. This is where I always turn it back. Say, oh, you're right. I'm running from your Jesus because your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of the Bible clearly didn't teach any of that nonsense. Well, you're just not open to the moving of the spirit. You're right. I'm not open to the moving of your spirit because your spirit is not the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is a spirit that teaches occult. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Well, like I said, a great example here by Steve that there are so-called professed Christians all because an individual calls themselves a Christian does not mean that they're a Christian. All because someone says they believe in Jesus does not mean that they believe in the Jesus of the Bible. All because someone carries a Bible, goes to church, sings sings the songs, works in charity and outreaches and does all this stuff, and you would swear all the nine yards that that person is a born-again Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian. You wouldn't believe the amount of pastors that get saved. Yeah. Go look up that one. How many pastors done, uh, done the, over the past 20, 30, 50 years? How many pastors, preachers have actually f discovered they were never actually saved in the first place? And then they get born again saved. Um, years ago, uh, we... Uh, my family was at a different church. My dad was a pastor of a different church. And uh, there, in our church, there was this one girl. She was our piano player. This girl was an incredible example of Christian behavior. Uh, uh, faithful and fervent and all of this. And that uh, they, they, were, they were the fastest at the Bible drills. 
a Bible drill, and if you're not aware, is some churches do it, not many do it anymore, is uh, at the beginning, like in the Sunday schools for the adults in the morning service, what they would do is, again, okay, now everybody take your Bible, hold it above your head. Okay, ready? And then the pastor will give you a reference, any reference, doesn't matter what the verse is, just give a reference. Or even let's just say, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, ready? And y'all say, okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, ready? One, two, three, go. And the first one to find that reference, stands up and reads it, wins. That's a Bible drill. It's a lot of fun. Do that with your kids. She was the fastest of the Bible drills. She was our piano player. And she, she led uh, uh, some of the youth groups and the, and the, and the Sunday schools. And she, uh, she, if the doors were open at church, she was there. When, when she uh, came of a, uh, of a certain age, I think when she turned 18, uh, she went to Bible school. She went off to Bible school. And a few weeks into Bible school, they had a special speaker come in. And he gave a powerful message, powerful gospel message, gospel presentation. And this girl realized she wasn't saved. She wasn't saved. Everyone, even her own family, swore that she was. And that everyone was so shocked, so shocked. When she gave the news, and she said, I, I don't know if you heard. Uh, uh, and then she told about uh, the guy came in and preached and, stuff, and, and she realized she wasn't saved. And everyone was just so surprised. All because someone does everything right. All because someone knows the Bible. All because someone says they love God, love Jesus, go to church, do all this. Do, they do everything. All because that they know everything, they do everything, doesn't mean they're saved. Doesn't mean they're a Christian. They could be the most warm, loving, friendly, great, kind, charitable, God-fearing, seeming individual. Doesn't mean they're saved. They get all lined up and wired up nice and tight. Doesn't mean they're Christian. What makes you a Christian? The doctrines of the gospel specifically and only. You quiz the individual regarding the doctrines, the specifics of the gospel. You grill the individual on this. Um, every person who ever comes to me and asks for uh, counseling, advice, whatever. Um, we have, so, we have a, a Facebook group for Christian Coffee Time. If you weren't aware, if you want, if you want to know more about that, you can message me afterwards and I can uh, give you the link all this to the Facebook to the CCT Facebook group and there's other places but people ask me uh, this uh, I always ask them a couple questions I, I even if I know if, or if I'm pretty sure that this individual would believe these doctrines I always ask them these questions anyways because it's uh, if you're you, even though you are saved these questions will will excite you do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh? Yes or no? No if and what's buts are there. No, yes 
or no? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh? And I wait for an answer. Then I say, do you believe that salvation is by grace through faith, by belief alone, period? Not by works, not by baptism, not by any other thing, but by grace through faith, by belief alone, period. Do you believe that? Yes or no? I wait for an answer. Then the last question I asked them, do you believe that salvation is permanent? That salvation is once saved, always saved. That it cannot be lost, taken away, or recanted. Yes or no? And if a person answers no, or can't answer those questions, then I know where they are. And I doubt their salvation. Because those those three points right there are absolutely salvationary. Yes, once saved, always saved is salvationary. Because if you don't believe in eternal security, then you, by definition, believe in a works-based salvation. I don't care how you try to twist that, argue that, and present. I've, I've heard all the arguments. I've seen all the presentations. I've debated uh, people of all stripes on that one. It doesn't matter how you try to word that. If you do not believe in once saved, always saved, you're, a, by definition, a works-based salvationist, and you do not believe in the gospel according to scripture, you are not saved. Because if you believe that salvation could be lost, taken away, or recanted, that denotes you have to do something to maintain, to keep it, to, to earn, to gain it, or to self-atone. That in your hands, by your works, your fruit, your maintenance, your doing, you have power to affect your salvation, which is a which is a workspace, righteous works to earn to gain. Which the Bible flat out refutes. Salvation is once saved, always saved, and if you deny that, you're a workspace salvationist. Just saying. Give that some thought. So learn those three questions. So when you're asking people about the Bible and you and you want to see where a person stands, always start with the salvationary points. Always start with the salvationary points. The primary doctrines. There's the primary and there's the secondary. The primary doctrines are doctrines which in and of themselves affect your salvation. If you get any of these wrong, you go to hell. The secondary doctrines are things that are not salvationary. Uh, like, for example, Noah's flood, uh, the creation account, um, you know, the, those kinds of things. Uh, to even things that uh, bear with me, bear with me, don't get your nose out of joint, but like the definition of the Godhead. Like, like, uh, how you might understand the Godhead itself. Yes, that Jesus is God. Okay, <laughs> that 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 excluded. But like people say, well, they're they're a modalist, or they're this, or they're that. Well, understanding the specifics of the Godhead itself is not salvationary, so long as you understand that Jesus is God. All right. So. Just saying that this that being able to understand the Godhead itself is not salvationary, just as long as you do understand that Jesus is God. So there are some things that that are that are not salvationary. There are some things that are. Understanding salvation is by grace, unmerited favor of God through faith, which is believing trust. Faith is not works. Faith is believing trust. For by grace you saved through faith by the by the, the Lord God Jesus Christ. So what must I do to be saved? What doctrines must I believe to be saved? 
understanding the work of Jesus Christ of the cross, the, the shed blood, the death, burial, resurrection. You must believe that if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, as the scripture teaches here, not saved. You're not believing the gospel of Christ. If you do not believe in the deity of Christ, you're not saved. If you do not believe the salvation is by grace, you're not saved. If you do not believe the salvation is by believing trust, by faith, you're not saved. So you see, there's the primary and the secondary. You cannot, you cannot elevate the secondary to a primary level. There are people who are true, born-again Christians who may even vehemently disagree with you on secondary topics. That doesn't mean they're not saved. That means they're Christian you're butting heads with. Okay? So we got to learn because there are people out there who call false prophet, false teacher on people that they disagree with on secondary topics. All because you may disagree with them on a secondary topic doesn't mean they're a false prophet, false teacher. They're still your brother and sister in Christ. You're just butting heads with. So, yeah. Okay. Okay, um, going down through here. Purely says, I purposely don't put tabs in my Bible so that I have to search for the book and can get quicker at it. Love that drill idea. Yeah, do that. If you have some friends or kids or other people around, they'd be interested in that. That's, that's a great, great thing to do. You could do that at prayer meetings, uh, Sunday schools. Uh, you can even tell your pastor about that. See if he'd be interested in bringing that in because it's a fantastic idea to help people get more familiar with their Bibles, be able to find stuff faster, easier. Yeah, I don't like the tabs thing. Um, I've, I've used some Bibles have the tabs. I just, I don't know. I, I like I like this. So, yeah. Okay. Um... So yeah, I like I I always like the 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 drill thing. I I won a couple times at the drills. I, I wasn't the best at it. There are always people a lot faster than me, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun and it does actually really help you learn where stuff is. Um, yeah, so it's a fun idea, fun game, fun to address. So the Bible drills, try it, try it out. Okay, Sunny Day says yes, Pastor Test, LOL. Um, when our old self was crucified, is dead, and then we are in Christ, it is done. Our old self doesn't come back to life and out from Christ. Right. And so, when we see what the Bible teaches on these things, what it says, what it means. Uh, we see that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. We see salvation is by grace through faith, by belief alone. Salvation itself, our sealing in Christ, it's not in our hands. But it's in his hands. We have no power to affect it. It's all of him, none of me. It's by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, not of righteous works, not by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It's all of him. And so we see uh, that with that, that uh, again, our, our, our consecration, our justification, our sanctification is all in Christ, not in us. It's all in Christ, not in us. Salvation cannot be lost, taken away, or recanted. It's all in the Lord and Lord alone. Uh, so that's what Word of God flat out teaches on this one. And if someone disagrees, well, that's up to them how they want to take it, but we must present all things in a Christ-like manner and show them for, for what it is. And if they disagree, uh, you, you can disagree to disagree, but again, that's what the Bible says. And... Uh, 
when we get there, you'll see I'm right. So <laughs> just joking. But uh, again, you have to take a look because as we're talking about this, Matthew, in the book of Matthew, we see many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. They're crying, Lord, Lord. They think they know Jesus. They think they're saved. They think they're born again. But Jesus says, I don't know you. So which Jesus were they calling on? Did they think that the, the, the Lord was? Which Lord did they think he was? Well, look what they say. Nowhere do they say, have we not believed in the name? They're trusting in their works. They're trusting in their works. So yeah. Why do you believe what you believe? Are you believing because someone told you? Because it's what you read in other source or whatever else? Or it's what the schools taught? Or you believe it because you search it up. That's what the Bible flat out says. And you can prove it without contradicting any other set point of scripture even remotely. If it's, if it's the true doctrine of God, it won't contradict any other set point of scripture even remotely. So, yeah. Okay. And we got another question here. Does the law have any use? I know Martin Luther said without the knowledge of the law, there's no repentance. Well, we take a look, for example, at the book of Galatians. And we compare that with the book of Romans. We see as scripture teaches that the law is their schoolmaster for sin. That's what the Bible says. So what Luther is, is referring to is what, what uh, Paul said in the book of Galatians, that the law is schoolmaster for sin. What does that mean? It teaches and instructs what is sin. So uh, that uh, as Paul goes on to say that if it wasn't for the law, that, that there'd be no knowledge of sin. So we take a look at the law of God, like what it says about lying, what it says about stealing, what it says about blasphemy, what it says about idolatry. And we see these things and it explains what they are. That by the law of God, by the knowledge of the word of God, we, we understand what the difference is between the holy and the profane, between righteousness and unrighteousness. As all unrighteousness is sin, well, how can I know what sin is? Well, look at how God explains what sin is. Well, sin is the opposite of what God says to do. So we see his explanation of righteousness, and doing the opposite of that is unrighteousness. How God explains it. Not, it's not the church's uh, denominational distinctives, traditions, and religiosity, and catechisms, commentaries, councils, and creeds, but what the Bible flat out says it is. What the Word of God says. So, so what is the law of God? The whole Bible. It's the whole counsel of God. So see, what does Scripture say on this? The law helps us to understand our sin, shows us that we are sinners. The law is a curse unto, uh, unto death, as, as it goes on to say in Galatians. It's a curse unto death because the wages of sin is death so it goes to show how i'm a sinner and how i'm condemned to die in the in the wrath of god the judgment of god and it shows the law shows how there must be an atonement how there must be a sacrifice for sin and that the wages of sin is death well i don't want to die but but the law brings us to the altar and that's where god then steps in and shows his grace how he has already paid that price and that we are then freed from the condemnation of the law. We are then freed from the condemnation of the law. And the law ceases to be a curse unto us and then becomes a tool, becomes an instrument that, that which we can then use. Because we are no longer under the condemnation of it. We now have a new schoolmaster, the Holy Spirit. He now teaches us and we now use the law to preach the righteousness of God. 
and also to help us in fine-tuning and understanding things in this in this world in our walk with Christ. So the law is useful, has a lot of purposes in it. Um, there's a lot of things the law is not. That it is that it is not salvationary, and that the meaning the law cannot save. As it says, if there had been a law which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the law does not save, the law kills. The law kills. The law is a curse. It's a condemnation. It's the judgment of God. So we use it in that sense, in that context, as it's presented in the Word of God. For you cannot bring forth righteousness by the law, for, for the law is a curse. The law is, it, it goes to show, show you how you cannot be good enough. The law shows you how you have no righteousness. You are incapable of being righteous. You're incapable of being good. The law shows you how, but it shows you who is. It points you to the right one. There you go. Okay. I uh, hope that answers that one sufficiently. Uh, Purely says, may I ask y'all to pray for guidance and provision regarding a car uh, as mine is going out the engine and funds are low. No victim here, but I know prayer is necessary for this situation. I thank you. Yep. All right. So if everybody could be pleased be praying for Purely here uh, for help and guidance in that, uh, that the Lord would provide and give direction and guidance and wisdom and uh, be greatly appreciated. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a lot of stuff that we discussed in this broadcast. So please make sure you go over this. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, please go ahead. Feel free to, to ask away. Let me know. Make sure you also check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We got links to all our other platforms and goodies. We got our free downloadable gospel track PDFs on our website as well. And links to our other platforms and goodies. We have links to our podcasts. Please make sure you check it out. As well as check out all our other videos here on our YouTube channel. We've got links, uh, uh, tons of other Bible studies and stuff that we've done. Books of the Bible, topics and debates and all kinds of good good stuff like there. We, have, we also have playlists on um, uh, creation seminars and uh, apolo- apologetics debates, all kinds of stuff. So make sure you check that all out. And if you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos And again, check out all our other ones. So with that, I guess we'll wrap that up there. I've gone for two hours, 18 minutes, which is pretty good. Uh, So I hope that you enjoyed this. Hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. Giving you something to think about and examine yourself in. Again, why do you believe what you believe? Please mull that one over. How do you know for sure? that you're right and you prove it from the word of God alone scripture alone without contradicting any other set point of scripture even remotely can you do that go do it go do it so with that thank you so much for joining in God bless you folks God bless all those who love our Lord God Jesus Christ God bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again and as always If I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.